The empire of Carl Franz stretches from the Sea of Claws in the north to the Black Mountains in the south. And beyond that perilous range, the wild and untamed lands of the Border Princes. It is a beacon of civilization in an untamed world. Sigma, its founder, is now a god. His influence still shepherding his chosen peoples. From mighty Altdorf, all are fairly ruled. From the poorest citizen to the most luminous noble, each a proud heir to Sigmar's glorious destiny. That, at least, is what the child and the sycophant claim. The truth of life in the Empire is rarely glorious, often short, and never without peril. If you wish to climb out of the gutter, you better have the coin to pay for the privilege, or failing that, a blade to cut your way free. The Empire itself is a fractious mess. A handful of great provinces vying for power, and always with a keen eye towards snatching any advantage from a neighbor. The nobility are witless, hedonists, or scheming misanthropes, heedless of the suffering left in their wake. This cantankerous state cannot go on, and indeed revolutionaries whisper of a better world. Some preach that ancient and terrible gods, the ruinous powers of chaos, offer the only hope of change. Their plots and unseen deeds suffuse the old world, and patiently they await that prophesied day when they will arise from their secret places and throw down the works of man and elf and dwarf to usher in a terrible, Age of chaos. This is a grim and perilous world, and there are no heroes here. Hello, everyone, and welcome to RPG Quest. I'm not sure how you stumbled across this podcast, but thanks nonetheless for putting it on. My name is Chris, and this is the very first episode of RPG Quest, a podcast where we do not play Dungeons and Dragons. But we do play tabletop RPGs, and this is my, I suppose you would call, personal quest to try as many RPGs as I can, and also to convince you to try them out too. I don't have a problem with Dungeons and Dragons. Like, after all, it was my my gateway into RPGs all those years ago. And I think that's the case for most people. But where my problem lies is there seems to be this widespread unwillingness to try out new and, and different systems. Um, this is something that I've seen a lot. You've probably seen it too. Like someone on Reddit or Facebook or Discord discussing their insane and janky homebrew or hack on how to do like a, a, a modern urban adventure or a, a no magic gritty low fantasy campaign or like space cowboy adventure or something, which is, is fine. But I always say like, hey, you should 
try a different system. Um, and people are resistant to change. I get it, but it's it's not that scary. So like I'm here, I guess, to help. And and the first system that I wanted to check out, I, I did a lot of tossing and turning, trying to decide what I was going to do for the first episode. The first system that I wanted to check out uh, is Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay. And to do that, I am joined by Dan Cole. Hello. So, Dan, you're from the Professional Casual Network. I and am. And the GM. Well, tell me, yeah, tell, tell, tell us about your uh, your podcast as well. Sure. Yeah. So, I am the GM of a grim podcast, The Perilous Adventure. They call me the bad GM because they don't always like my decisions. <laughs> At least I like I like to think <laughs> that's why they call me that. Um, but, yeah, we've been playing Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay on the podcast for uh, almost two and a half years now. And uh, we're playing the Enemy Within campaign, and it's just been a, a blast. Nice. And uh, yeah, where where can where can people find it? Uh, so you can check out a Grim Podcast, a Perilous Adventure, pretty much anywhere you get podcasts. Um, and yeah, we've got a few. We have video for it, starting with like episode twenty one on our Patreon, um, which you can just search Professional Casual. Uh, we have a couple other actual plays as well, featuring like Pathfinder Second Edition. Um, and we're going to be getting into Soulbound really soon. Amazing. All right. Now, uh, the the reason I chose um, Warhammer, right, is because I, um, I think one of the main complaints I see about D&D or like people asking for help on how to tweak and, and, and hack D&D is often like my players are too powerful. Like I don't like, you know, the power creep. They level up too quickly or they can heal too quickly. You know, they just spam long rests and it's not sort of dark and, and brutal enough. So I think... Uh, Warhammer fantasy roleplay kind of scratches that itch, but I, I want to before we get into that, I just I want to ask you like why why did you pick up Warhammer fantasy roleplay for this podcast and not say like D and D? Oh, all right. So that's got to go back to like when I first started playing Warhammer fantasy roleplay uh, when Second Edition came out back in like two thousand five. Um, I had just gotten into Warhammer, I just discovered role playing, and I was like, oh man, it'd be so cool if there was an RPG for the Warhammer world. And then I did a Google search and it was like, yeah, re- the new edition releases in like two months. And I was like, sold. <laughs> and we played a <laughs> ton of it in college. Loved it. Absolutely loved it. Um, and then when fourth edition came out, it was like, well, I was playing other games at the time. And then like COVID lockdown stuff happened. And it was like, we started up the our podcast network and I was like, I want to do an actual play. And everybody else was like, what is that? And I was like, well, we play an RPG and we record it. And they're like, I mean, okay, I mean, I'll play an RPG. Sounds good. Um, and I was like, let's do Warhammer. We, there's a new edition, you know, love, love to go back to that game. And it was like from the first session, it was like match made in heaven. It's been so awesome. We have some people on the show back from my old college groups. Um, and we get to play that every other week, which is, <laughs> a dream come true for RPG players. Yeah. Awesome. Um, you kind of just did it, but I was going to ask, like, like if I were to say, um, like, give me your elevator pitch, like your 30 second elevator pitch, like Shark Tank on why someone should play Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay. Uh, one of my favorite descriptions of it, uh, Tim said on one of our shows where he said, you play as grubs in the mud, which might not be a great mm. sell at first. But like if you want to play something that's a bit darker, grittier, you know, that low fantasy that does have some access to things like magic and, and crazy monsters and whatnot, but you want something that you feel every hit in combat, this is that game. Or if you want a game that doesn't have much combat, 
the old world is perfect for that. There's so much intrigue. Um, there's so much, you know, internal conflict between the the ruling nations and everything that you can do a whole campaign mm. without combat easy. Yeah. I, I want to get into to the kind of adventures and, and that sort of thing in a second. But I guess very quickly... Most people have heard of Warhammer and the Warhammer franchise to some extent, right? There's the, you know, if most people associate it with the models and the, the war game. I was never really into Warhammer, but my cousin collected and painted all the minis. So he had like a massive collection of all the 40k minis. And yeah, as a franchise, it's been around for a while. So there's a lot of insane lore about this world with the war games and the video games and everything. Um, before we get into the differences of like the Warhammer fantasy roleplay world, because as you said, it's a lot more kind of grounded and, and very low fantasy compared to the epic high fantasy of the Warhammer battle game. Um, can you like help me out with like a brief rundown of just kind of the setting and the world? Sure. Yeah. So typically games of Warhammer Fantasy roleplay take place in the Empire, which is it starts. It sounds like your generic human area at first, uh, but there are elves and dwarves and halflings and even ogres that live among er each other, usually in relative peace. Um, whereas there's even within the Empire itself, all the provinces are constantly warring with each other. There's just this constant battle for, you know, the borders moving and taking over and tons of political intrigue. What I love about the Warhammer world is how well defined it is over the the decades it's been developed. The first edition of the game came out in the mid or even early 80s and they did a lot of weird stuff back then that <laughs> some of it's been changed over the years, <laughs> but things are so well defined that it's like these these this places you you visit in the game, this the major cities and everything really feel like an actual believable world. It's not just, oh, there's a town here, and then you got to travel eight days to get to another random town. Like, they really have relationships with each other. Um, again, it's just so well-defined. There's so much there. I know some people might think, well, I don't want it to tell me everything I have to do. And it's like, well, the whole thing is that it sets up for what you want to do in that world because there's so much there for you to draw from. I guess... If, if you don't know much about the setting, I know some people are like, oh, do I have to play in this setting? Like, oh, I don't want to read and learn everything about the setting. I don't think you really need to know too much about it. And I think maybe the benefit of it and kind of what sets it apart from Tolkien and like the out-of-the-box D&D worlds is that it kind of draws a lot of different real-world historical periods. Like there's Renaissance, there's gun and gunpowder, there's, there's like medieval France, there's things like like the Black Plague, yeah. and it kind of smushes everything all together into this kind of weird, uh, gritty, yeah, uh, fantasy setting. Yeah, it might help if you know anything about European history, which I don't much. So <laughs> I think a lot of the, like, there's tons, like, the, the, what, another thing I love about Warhammer is it's one part gritty nasty death muddy world and another part silly humor where mm. a lot of the names are jokes um a lot of the stuff is uh, the the language the the empire speaks is called reichspiel which is supposed to be like uh an englishman's version of german from when it was first created <laughs> it was just like <laughs> a lot of the reichspiel words are made up like pigeon german from what people at games workshop knew at the time just being english and being near germany which is just i i, th I find it really funny uh, i love yeah. that aspect of it where it should be part horror part absurd to me at yes. least 
Yeah, there is something about the having looked at it. There's something about the humor of it. I find I think it's very, um, it's like Pratchett esque almost, in a dark in a, a little maybe a little bit darker. Right. There's so much of that English humor that you, um, I'm sure the English get a lot better than an American like myself. But like, I've watched enough British TV over the years to, to, to have a little bit more of an appreciation for that special blend of British humor that's just a little out there. <laughs> the, the Warhammer fantasy world's like very well established. The world in the battle game is like huge and, and epic. But as you said, the way uh, Tim described it was was grubs in the mud. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's a it's a very like different feel, right? Like instead of you, you're more likely to be dealing with like famine and disease, corrupt politicians as you are, uh, dragons and dungeons and that kind of thing. I think you kind of get a sense of that how grounded this is and gritty and down to earth, like right from the get go with uh, character creation. Oh yeah. I mean, you can roll. Well, another thing I love about this game, the career system, as opposed to the, the 12 or so classes in D and D here, you have a few dozen careers that you build your character up from um, either. They can continue doing their career while they're adventuring, or it's like, this is what I was before I became an adventurer. And you can roll a beggar. You can start as a beggar. Mm. <laughs> Which is just, yeah. you can't get lower than that. Um, then there's just some classic Warhammer ones in there, like a rat catcher, which is strangely competent at what it does. Uh, the witch hunter, of course. Uh, you, can, you can be like a wizard. There's a couple different ways to get magic, which is really cool. Uh, but you got to be real careful with it because you roll poorly and weird things happen, like accidentally summon some demons, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> But yeah, the career system is just uh, a treasure trove of fun and awesome things. Some of them are, the game does not go out of its way at all to balance things. Like if you roll up a human beggar, you are not as good as an elf pit fighter or something like that. They, like, yeah. Especially, they're going to just outshine you in combat completely. And that's okay in this game. Yeah, it definitely doesn't feel that way. So we did. It encourages you to do the random character generation. You can make your characters the way you want, but like when we rolled up our players for for the actual play in the in the next few episodes, when my players rolled up their characters, yeah, we had a um, we had a peasant farmer, like a board who's a nude model, um, a, a young <laughs> seaman who's actually a landsman because he's never seen the sea, and then just one warrior priest. Oh, like this guy rolled really well, but it didn't feel unbalanced. Like everyone had these amazing moments to shine. I think the the peasant farmer she like took out a, a mutant in one swing almost. Like it's um, th there's fun in the imbalance, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I always say that that's why we rolled the dice, right? Like you're. Your warrior priest could totally flub on his attack with whatever he's got, but then your farmer can roll a crit and stab the goblin in the face and or whatever might happen. And, and crazy stuff is happening all the time because combat yeah. is brutal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I'll get into a bit more into combat later, but I wanted to pick on something you mentioned before, like about magic being super dangerous. So this is the other thing I think that sets Warhammer apart from the others is that what, what elements of fantasy and magic uh, that do seep through are almost always utterly horrific and, <laughs> and terrifying. Yes. Which I love. Yeah, especially um, when you first start out, like the chance you have just about as much of a chance of miscasting and having something crazy and weird happen as you do actually succeeding on the spell. Which again, you know, it's 
is that balanced for that character? Not really, and that's okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. As they improve, wizards become crazy powerful um, to the point where there's a very low chance for them to miscast, and that makes perfect sense. As they do it, they get better at it. Their their abilities are more refined and focused. So yeah, there's that that progression works really well in this game. Hmm. Yeah. Awesome. And uh, th there's another thing as well in a similar note where this is, again, unique from from other games and it's something to the Warhammer world. It's it's called chaos. Like chaos is what? It's like a force. It's not quite magic. It's like a a, a force throughout the world. Yeah. So like there's the there's the chaos gods who are like the embodiment of the, the realm of chaos, which is like the the other world, like like the otherworldly, you know, dimension that's right adjacent to the actual physical world. And they can kind of influence the world where their demons can come through. Uh, but all magic is actually connect directly connected to the realm of chaos. All the, the winds of magic that wizards can manipulate to cast spells comes from the realm of chaos. So, like, wizards are certainly seen, uh, they're, they're viewed with a lot of, like, trepidation. Like, people don't trust wizards. They're, they're terrifying, even if they're, like... You can be like a state sanctioned wizard and go to the colleges of magic and people are still going to like make the, the the hammer of Sigmar sign as you walk by because you're weird and freaky. <laughs> yeah. And and I guess um, the other aspect to that is because uh, chaos and magic like is it does have bad real world effects like it can unleash physical mutation uh, and corruption. So. There's like, yeah, there's all these uh, species and civilizations around the world that have been corrupted by by chaos. And then within like the empire and the civilized world as well, there's like, as you go through the forests and across the roads, there are mutants and, and beast men, these animal human hybrids that have been corrupted by chaos that are kind of these outcasts that are these dangerous beings that live you know beyond like the city walls and stuff. Oh, I love beastmen so much. They're what got me into Warhammer in the first place. But yeah, the whole mutant thing is so great where, you know, it, it can happen to anybody. It it can happen just randomly from the powers in the world. But the more you mess with this stuff, the higher chance you have of becoming mutated. So, like, on a long enough timeline, your PCs will become mutated to some degree. And sometimes they're things you can hide. Sometimes they're not. Like, you can grow a second head. <laughs> in, in our game right now in the podcast, most of the party is mutated, but they're luck they're all lucky in that they're all things that can be hidden. A couple of them got, you can have mental or physical mutations. A few of them got mental mutations, which are pretty easy to hide. They just act weird in some situations. Uh, but one person mm -hmm. has stretchy arms, like Mr. Fantastic. But he he can choose to do it or not, so he's been able to keep it under wraps. Uh, and I just love oh, that wow. aspect of it, that, like, <laughs> one of the characters is now a witch hunter, so if she found out that another person in the party was a mutant, she would feel pretty obligated to destroy them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, that's what I love about the game as well, is, like, yeah, beast men, uh, even if you're mutated through no fault of your own, you're a heretic and you must be cleansed, and there are these pious witch hunters walking around, <laughs> you know, yeah, killing them all. <laughs> it's great. And, yeah, some of the mutations are... Are very funny. Some of them, the mental mutations, yeah, they're just things like you kind of get a bit jittery, maybe yeah. stuff that's very easy to hide. And then another one, you might have full, um, like animal legs, goat legs, or something. Yeah, the 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 range of it is wild, and I love it. One of the 
additional books that came out had a, a expanded table where they even have specific tables for the 4KS gods. So, like, if the PC tends to act more, uh, like, they get catch the eye of one of the Chaos gods, you can roll on that table in particular, which I do for our characters, where it's like, well, yeah, you really like killing people, so you're going to roll on the corn table and get something crazy. Maybe your arm will turn into a sword, or maybe you'll just be real angry all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, nice. (laughs) Oh, that's brutal, but so good. All right, so... uh with with all that in mind, I wanted to get into you did talk about this. I wanted to get into the, the types of adventures that Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay like really lends itself to running. Like as you mentioned, a lot of the original campaign modules, like the old ones that I've seen, do seem to be geared more towards social interaction and investigation and that type of thing. Would you say that that's probably right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And there are all kinds of things like corrupt politicians, cultists trying to bring around the end of the world, uh, disease, famine. Now, I was going to talk about this before I even went and listened to your podcast. Probably the most famous of the campaign modules, the one that I've seen mentioned the most, is The Enemy Within. And that's the one that you're playing, right? Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, it was such good timing that it was like, well, you know, they're redoing The Enemy Within. And I've always heard it's like the best campaign out there. And I was like... Let's just play that. It'll take years, but who knows what's happening to the world right now? Let's start that. So we, we just <laughs> dove right in, um, and it was like the it wasn't complete when we I think when we first started the second book wasn't even out yet of the new like director's cut. So it was like I don't know what's coming next, but it looks pretty cool. <laughs> and we actually just finished <laughs> the second book recently. Um, episodes that are coming out now uh, will be uh, finishing up book two, Death on the Reich which is so good. Uh, it, it's just, the whole campaign is amazing. And I mean, it tells you right in the title, The Enemy Within is so great. The themes throughout it are so well done where it's like, it's not so much the monsters of chaos that are the bad guys in the world. It's those that are in power that are corrupted that will bring things down from the inside. And it even mm. works even better within our own party. We have almost like, enemies within the party we had some animosity in the beginning between a couple characters and they've kind of patched things up and then animosity grows between two other characters and it's just it it works so well on so many layers it's it's a fantastic campaign a lot of intrigue a fair bit of combat um what we're getting into next is going to be so much intrigue i know the players are going to love it where there's so many npcs they get to interact with and they love to do and they'll just they're going to eat it up. Nice. Is it five books in total it, it, it ends up being? or Yeah, and the, the fifth book is, like, massive. <laughs> I don't have it in right. print yet, but it's big. <laughs> it's, like, 100 pages longer than the other books, and it's just like, oh, maybe this should have been six. <laughs> <laughs> um, obviously, I don't want any spoilers. I don't want to spoil it. But very briefly, like, what is the the kind of the, the hook of um, The Enemy Within? So the very beginning, the, uh, the party is just... Essentially, they're traveling together, but aren't like a party yet. Uh, they have you say, have each character come up with a reason to be traveling to Altdorf for what, you know, some minor reason. And on the way, they discover somebody that looks just like one of the party members. And on their person, they have uh, paperwork to show they were traveling to another city to collect a huge uh, uh, inheritance, is the word. So then. It's like, well, you're all poor, probably starting out. So this person looks exactly like you. 
head to this city and collect this inheritance, and then things get crazy. Nice. And I believe it involves like a lot of uh, mistaken identity, which can be very funny as well. Yeah, it's so great when um, the people that are looking for the, the lookalike that's dead interact with the party, and the party's just so confused, like, what is going on? They don't understand. There's, there's so much mystery to it. Um, <laughs> and it's a huge, sprawling adventure, over five books. Um, you know, it, it, it essentially be like the equivalent of D and D, like going from one to level twenty, more or less. Where by the end of the, the end of the campaign, you're doing some pretty epic stuff. Um, so the whole game doesn't always have to be grubs in the mud. The characters will get like really good at what they do as they go on, and and it does get a bit more epic scale. But you can easily play the game at that low level all the time and still have a blast. Yeah, nice. Do you have any standout moments? I guess, from the campaign so far. Oh my gosh, there's so many. <laughs> so, <laughs> at question. this point, we, we've we recorded 140 episodes. Um, so, you know, you're talking probably close to 200 hours of the game. Um, my favorite moments are between combats when we have an episode or, even, or a few of just role play stuff where there was one scene where um, my wife plays in the game. She plays Mina and she is like on watch one night and she starts talking to a duck which sounds is ridiculous let's be honest but um one of the party members summoned a duck as a spell and just kind of befriended it and it's like basically a member of the party now so mina's having this conversation <laughs> with the duck and she goes into this story a part of her backstory that she had like mentioned before but like things happen to kind of bring it back into her mind and she got into it and and like my wife danny she got so into it she actually started crying about this past and when the when we were done with the episode she was like was that too much is that i'm like is that is that okay like i she's like i don't even know what happened like i, I feel like i blacked out because it's like the stuff i'm crying about is not even real <laughs> yeah <laughs> but it was like no that was such a great moment because it was so like re it was so real because like when we start playing the game, like they really become those characters. Like once we start recording, Danny is not Danny anymore. She's Mina. JB is Bruno. You know, like they jump into those characters and they hit it so well that those are my favorite moments. Um, there's awesome stuff that happens in combat, but when it's those moments where they really get into their character and do those kind of deep dives into who this character is, is what really stands out to me. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. It's like a therapy duck. That's great. Right. I think um. that I think we were calling him the emotional support duck at that point. <laughs> emotional support duck, yes. <laughs> so as you were saying, you've been playing for a while. Warhammer's gone through a few editions. We won't really go into that. But now with um, you know, the fourth edition, which came out I think twenty eighteen, right? It's um it's kind of back right. to basics. They brought it brought it back to the original system. It's got all those grim dark sensibilities and that humor. And I think it's great because a lot of the older edition, like a lot of the older adventures and stuff, are, are pretty much cut and paste compatible with, with the fourth edition as well. If you want to pick up the, the old adventures, oh, yeah, super easy. Um, Cubicle Seven even came out with a free PDF that's a conversion guide to like, hey, you want to take an old first or second edition adventure? Like, this is what you can do to convert the stats over as e you know, to make it as easy as possible. And it's like, wow, that's awesome. Yeah, that's great. Well, let's 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 look at the system very quickly. It is it is a D one hundred system, which people might be familiar with if you've played uh, 
like RuneQuest or Call of Cthulhu or something like that. So I think they're the only dice you need, right? Is like a, a D100, a D10 and a 100 yep, start. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, awesome. So let's kind of go through that a little bit. Basically, everything kind of runs on rolling a D100. It's the basic test is like you throw a D100 against your skill or your characteristic. And if you, you roll lower, you succeed. If you roll higher, you fail. I think a one to five is always a success and like a 96 to 100 is always a fail. Like that's a basic test. Yeah. But then where it, um, where I think it gets like really interesting is, is dramatic tests and opposed tests, which are these situations where it's not just a pass fail. There is a degree of how much you succeed, which, which might be in combat, might be out of combat. Um, and I think that's, like great, like it really differs from things like Dungeons and Dragons because you're able to succeed by degrees. Like you might have this horribly clumsy success or you might have an, uh, an amazing success. And I think it definitely makes the game a lot more interesting. So I guess, yeah, could you could you help me explain like a little bit of like the, how, the concept of success levels and how that works and plays into the game? Yeah, so success levels are pretty in, uh, like super in- integral to the, to the way the game works most of the time, especially in combat where for every um for every difference the tens place is from what you were testing on you have a degree of success or a degree of failure so like if you're rolling on a 55 and you roll a 35 you've got two success levels um but if you're testing on that 55 and only 85 you've got three negative success levels um and for most things out of combat typically just did you pass or fail is good enough but it can be real fun for the GM to kind of make stuff up, especially if people fail really poorly. Like, oh, you tried to jump over this little, <laughs> you know, six foot wide river, but you rolled six negative success levels. So, like, you know, like what happens there kind of thing, I think, can open up a lot. You know, the yes and or no but kind of mm. things that you can throw in there and really mess with stuff. One yeah, of my favorite definitely. things they did with fourth edition was the introduction of the opposed test you mentioned a minute ago which I think was a huge improvement to combat, where if I'm attacking a player, we both roll. Uh, they can roll to try to dodge it or deflect it with a, a weapon or a shield or whatever. And even if you don't pass the test, you can still win the opposed test by rolling better than your opponent, which actually speeds things up in combat because previous editions had a, a, a bad whiff factor where it's like, well, my weapon skill is 45, so I'm failing most of the time trying to hit something where here you can still roll an 80 something and succeed because your opponent rolled that 96 to 100 and auto failed. Yeah. Yeah. There's nothing worse. I'm sure that it's not, not to keep like bashing on D&D. I'm not trying to do that. But like there's been so many moments where an enemy is like asleep or on the ground and and you're there standing on top of them and you, you roll to, to try and, and hit and put the enemy down and like you still miss. And it's like, how did my how did my knight? not manage to strike this uh, this body that's just lying there, <laughs> you know? Right, where here you've got a bunch of modifiers. So it's like, well, they're prone and you know, they're not aware. Yeah. So you, you, just yeah. hit, you just do an automatic critical hit and you're probably just going to chop their head off yeah. or whatever. <laughs> exactly. And that's good as well. Like as opposed to, I like systems where you roll against your your skill rather than the GM setting a like a some kind of static difficulty and you've got to be, match that. It's you roll against your skill, but then... There are certain situations where 
the GM might adjust the the difficulty. Like, so I think a challenging is test is like, there's no modifier. You just roll straight against your skill. Um, then you've got like average, which you give a, them a plus 20 easy. You give them a plus 40 and it works like the other way as well. So like, yeah, maybe you're, you're listening out for someone in a quiet building or something. And I might be like, okay, that's just a challenging test. Just roll your perception. Um, but maybe you're trying to listen out through some winds or some storm or something like that. So I might make that a difficult or a, a hard test, which then you add that, that, that minus 10 or minus 20 to their level that they need to hit, which is cool. The difficulty level. Yeah, so I do like that as get well. Real mad. <laughs> yeah. It's <laughs> a hard test. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's great. There's, um, the combat difficulty is, uh, there's a similar thing. Yeah. I think if you, if you outnumber an opponent two to one, it becomes a, an average test. If you outnumber them three to one, it's an easy test. So if they're like engaged and facing the other way, so there's all these kind of things that make it much easier to easier to hit, which I think is great as well, or harder to hit as well, which I think is fantastic. Yeah, I think it needed for the system. We we played a lot of second edition that didn't have any modifiers like that. It was like, well, if you're rolling to hit in combat, you're rolling your weapon skill or lower. And a lot of times it was pretty low. So <laughs> we, yeah. it, it speeds up the game. It makes it more dynamic where even when it's not the player's turn, they need to be paying attention because it's like, all right, I'm trying to hit you. What are you going to do? And there's all kinds of options they've got to try to not take damage or negate the damage or, or minimize the damage. Um, cause mm. then it comes to who, who did better, how many success levels there were and, you know, factors into that damage where it's like, oh, well, even though you failed to, to dodge, you're only taking one damage because you got a few success levels and that makes it less of a hit on my end, which I really enjoy. Um, so it's, it keeps people on their toes. Even when yes. I get confused and forget whose turn it is and try to do damage when I was dodging. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's great. Um, there was a moment in the game that, that I recorded where, yeah, the the warrior priest had taken a huge hit and he was down on one knee and there's this this beast man in front of him that's about to, to give a final blow and he swings his sword and rolled terribly, but... Luckily, I rolled even worse than uh, <laughs> I rolled even worse for the for, for the for the beast man. So it's this real clumsy kind of swing of the sword, and you know, lops his arm off, uh, which is great. Nice. Um, and and yeah, you were saying that your level of success gets added to your damage, which I think is great. Like a weapon's damage is is static, so there's kind of less swing. Like you just have your like a weapon might do five points of damage or six points of damage plus your strength bonus, for instance, if it's a melee, and then you add the number of success levels to that as damage. So if you hit well, you can do awesome damage, but there is um, the floor of minimum damage is a little higher as well, which I like. You're not going to just roll a one on your, your damage die, for instance. Right. So like, no matter, as long as you succeed, you're going to do at least one damage, even if it's like, oh, well, this thing's really tough and has a bunch of armor. You're still doing one damage, which can really matter once you start talking about advantage, which is a huge part of the combat system. Yeah, yeah. Advantage is great. So um, advantage is kind of like, I, I, how would you describe it? I guess I'd describe it as momentum. Yeah, Every I kind of wish succeed. they'd use the term momentum more. So it, it represents how the, the tide of the fight swings in either direction. You can build up advantage uh, by succeeding in combat and doing damage and whatnot. But if you take damage or fail on a test or uh, suffer a condition, you lose all your advantage and just go broop, back down to zero. But every time you succeed, you get a you get a point of advantage and that keeps rolling up. And one 
point of advantage translates to one success level on your rolls. So if you're there carving through enemies, you get a you hit one, get a point of advantage, hit the next one, get another point of advantage. So it's kind of like you're building this this great momentum in battle, and by the end of it, you could be yeah, like never missing essentially, just carving through enemies. Yeah, it can get cr- pretty crazy. Which well, they have like a little box out in the rules that's like so you you probably want to cap advantage to something so like we just have right. a blank we we house rule to just blanket uh cap it at plus five which is still plus 50 to your test it's a cra- yeah. it can be a crazy amount but there's always that chance to roll that 96 to 100 or still potentially roll worse than your opponent and and lose a test even if you got plus 50 so the advantage is one of those that there's a little bit of contention out there in the community, but I, I don't have a problem with it as long as you cap it. When we first started playing, we we just went straight by the book. It said it capped it at 10, which is like we found out quickly. That's way too much. <laughs> Having plus 100 <laughs> is just, all right, I have a 5% chance to 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 fail, and that's it. Like Just roll the 96 to 100. Otherwise, I pass with a bunch of success levels. So pretty quickly, we toned that down to 5, which... Seems yeah. to work pretty well. You get real good, but not completely unstoppable. Yeah, yeah. That 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 sounds a little bit more balanced. <laughs> um, I also like the fact that the, the number you roll uh, when you roll to hit, the number that you roll also determines the the hit location. Oh, so, yeah, like for yeah, instance, yeah. like a one to nine, you hit the head. Like ten to twenty four, I think you hit. Um, you know, the left arm and so on, which is cool because it has, it, well, there's a couple of aspects to it, but I, I, I like that it has a, a nice kind of finality to it as well. Like whenever I run a and d game, I get my players to narrate, you know, how they land their, their killing blow or whatever. But the way that this sets out the hit location for you, it tells you how you land that blow. So you might cleave the, the orc's arm off or the arrow might go directly into the, into the head or the eye of the, the oncoming you know, basement, which is which is cool. I like that it sets up more um, story with it. Like you were saying, like, all oh, right, you know you hit him in the arm so the GM or the player can kind of get a bit, you know, better describe how they did it instead of just like, okay, so you did three damage, good job. Onto the next person, like so, you slash them across the arm, and you see their bicep is bleeding, and their arm goes a little limp, and then, then you get into critical hits, which can just go mm. crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So criticals work a little differently as well. Like it's not if you roll one to five or uh, ninety six above, it's like a, a crit or a fail. Like that just means you fail. But a crit is um, when you roll a double, right? Like you roll a sixty six or a thirty three or something like that. That's when you roll. A critical, and then there are these amazing tables for the the critical fumbles table or the critical injury ta- table when you do roll. Well, the critical. I like that the the critical fumbles table is called the oops table <laughs> as well. <laughs> I do wish they expand that. There's only like six or seven results there. I, I want more on the oops table, but that thing's so much fun. It was like, whoops, your weapon dropped, or oops, you hit yourself, or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. Or on yeah. the very like high end of the scale, you you hit you hit an ally instead. Yeah. But yeah, the critical hits are one of the the best things about the combat system where it can be anything from literally a stubbed toe to, well, you lopped their arm, you, you lost your arm or the lingering ones. Yeah. Like you got a torn muscle. So you're going to have negatives to anytime you use that body part for like a month, but it's so good. <laughs> it's just, yeah. It's yeah. So you can have like, like flensed, flensed muscles. And if you take another injury, it starts bleeding again. And, <laughs> or like yeah, you bit your really tongue. Cool. So you can't cast spells for a while. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah. It's great. I, I really like that um, your characters, like, every time a player enters into a battle, they can come out scarred or changed. Um, so your character kind of changes and develops with time. Like, you can lose a finger or you can lose an eye. or Although if you roll, like, a 100, I think, on any of the, the crit tables, like, you, you just you just die, you lose a limb or you decapitate it. So that's not quite as fun, but. Um, yeah, your critical wound yeah. is death. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it is cool that your like characters actually come out scarred and changed through time. Another thing I like about this system, what Cubicle 7 is doing with it, is that it's kind of a living system where they're constantly updating it and, and addressing things that have been like potential um, issues with the rules with new um, supplements and things where if you've got those books, awesome, you can use it. And if you don't, just play it of the core books. Totally fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Where I think it was Up in Arms is the book that added um, like replacement crit tables that are more expanded, larger, more re possible results. And that I think is just good. Um, a little harder to kill people because the numbers go up way above 100. But like if you take a hit and go below zero that's when it gets real dangerous. Um, it's not, you know, you're not doing death saves. It's do you have too many mm. critical hits or does your critical hit kill you? Yeah, I do like the way um, uh, damage or I guess they call hit points wounds in this system. Um, but yeah, I do like the way that, that wounds and, and healing and everything works. Um, I think, yeah, Warhammer sort of had this reputation as being like super brutal and super deadly, but I don't really... Uh, think it's especially compared to like old D&D like I played D&D first and second edition and that was if you get down to zero you're you're dead like the amount of characters that, how quickly you lose characters in in uh, AD&D and stuff is is crazy but yeah the way it works in Warhammer is if you get down to zero wounds your character falls prone and then you t you do take a critical injury but then you go back to like zero wounds. So you're prone, you're injured, but you don't, you know, you don't die and you're not dying. You're not making death saves or anything like that. Uh, yeah. So the, the, the lethality of it, I feel like has gotten toned down a little bit in fourth edition where second edition, we'd go through characters constantly, uh, but they've added more um, like people typically just call them meta points, fate, fortune, resilience, resolve are ways, you know, points that characters uh, can spend to, to help, keep them alive which can mm. keep them alive a pretty long time but then, i mean fate points are literally like extra lives um yeah that's like i choose not to die today basically right. not today <laughs> um which is something that's been around I, i'm pretty sure since the first edition of the game i think that is um pretty consistent um but you got things to give you re-rolls here and there you can like ignore conditions with other ones even if you're prone when you're knocked prone if you're at zero if you can stay at zero wounds for a while and be conscious uh but you can spend a point of resolve to just like basically kip up get to your feet and get one wound back and stay in the fight so all mm. then there's a few things that can keep you alive for a while because you can go down to to any hit at any time really even combat focused characters there's been times where it's like all right you take 16 damage and they're like what <laughs> Which is, yeah. you know, a huge amount when characters, average character has like 10 and 12 wounds. Yeah, exactly. So, but you'll, you'll fall prone, you'll take a, um, a critical injury, but then you can spend that resolve, get back up and have a few more rounds of like, so you might still land a killing blow on the, on the bad guy and collapse a little later, maybe. 
Yeah. Right, because luckily the typical NPCs don't get all that. They go to zero, they're done. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. No, it's great. I, I really do enjoy the, the the combat system. I think it's um I think it's a lot of fun. I think it's fantastic. Yeah, and I do like the the conditions as well. That you might be bleeding or you can get stunned or deafened, all that kind of stuff is great. Yeah, and they're all real bad. <laughs> oh <laughs> yeah. No, it's really it's um it's a really great combat system. There is also magic in Warhammer, right? It's not completely without magic. It's not like a complete low fantasy setting. Right. Just um, relatively rare. Yeah. But you can you can roll up a caster if you if you roll lucky enough. Yeah, you could draw a wizard or a witch or a hedge witch. I think that's about it. <laughs> not yeah. many chances, but you could do it. What do you um what do you think of the, the, the magic system and how magic works in Warhammer Fantasy? I like it. Uh, they keep changing it every edition. Um, I was real used to second edition where it was like your wizard level, how many points you had in your magic skill was how many D10s you rolled, and you'd add them up to see if you got the casting number. Now, they, they I don't know if they I would say simplified it. They, they kept it in line with all the other skills where you're trying to roll your language magic skill just like you would roll your weapon skill to attack somebody, but... Uh, you can have talents and things that improve that and give you more successes and whatnot. So you, and, but and you can also channel magic. You can essentially take extra ta- extra turns to to build up magical power and then cast it into a higher level spell. Which I know mm. some people complain that it's like, well, my wizard stands there for three turns and then does something. It's like, yeah, there are plenty of other spells you can do right away. Uh, the petty magic, you you just need to successfully pass the test. And it's one of those, again, they, with casters start out, they seem a little low level compared to like a melee fighter. But as if you play a longer campaign, they get real good real quick. Right. Yeah. And I guess because it's a, um, like I said, a simple test, like you roll under the, the number, there's also, you can also fumble. So there's a, a, a great miscast table in the yeah. book as well. Oh, I love it when they <laughs> miscast. One of my favorite moments of the campaign was miscasting an open lock. They just, he was trying oh, to open a lock on uh, like a desk, trying to find some evidence of something, and he miscast. And the what I rolled ended up being like the cast. The spell casts successfully just somewhere, kind of randomly within like a mile. And I, so I was like, <laughs> "All right, I'm not going to tell you what happened right now." I was like, "Because I had, I don't have an idea yet." But I was like, "We'll find out in the future." So like, as I was actually listening back to it. Something popped in my head, and I was like, that's what it's going to do. And it had a big impact on the story and their relationships with NPCs they had met that, like, caused the death of an NPC. And it was just one of those. It was, like, my crowning moment as a GM that I thought of that. And it was just, um, you know, it was just, it still gets brought up now during the game where I was like, oh, I remember that guy. <laughs> but they don't, like, look, the 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 witch is the only one that realizes what happened there because somebody was like, yeah, this door just randomly unlocked. And he was like, oh, oh no. Oh, <laughs> miscast great. are one of my favorite things because of what they can set up. Sometimes they're just silly, like all the milk within 100 yards spoils or whatever. Yeah, like. <laughs> yeah. One of them is like, oh, gross. It's like regurgitation. I think you just you just start vomiting for like 1d10 rounds or yeah. something. Oh, they're, they're sometimes it, or it's like you vomit, like blood pours out of all your orifices and you vomit blood for like a, a little bit. It's gross and weird. <laughs> 
I had one back in second edition, similar thing. If you you miscast and all this crazy stuff happened, and, and there's a minor miscast table and a major miscast table, and the guy he was just trying to summon like marsh lights to light the way upstairs. And he rolled on the he miscast, rolled on the minor miscast, rolled the result that's okay, now roll on the major miscast instead. He did and accidentally summoned some demons that it was like, oh, All right, God. well, now there's demons fighting you, sorry. And they're like, ah <laughs> Oh no. <laughs> um it was yeah, so good. I mean mag- <laughs> Yeah, magic looks pretty uh pretty cool. I think everything else is kind of familiar with it like the book has a, a pretty extensive uh, quite, a quite extensive spell list um to choose from and there are like a bunch of different uh magic they call them magic laws right there's like eight different laws representing its own type of magic there's light metal life heavens shadows death fire and then beasts so i think that's cool yeah you don't have classes you just have like a school of magic that you that you can dip into right and then there's all like the on the other side of that there's chaos magic and necromancy. What's it all like? Ooh, demon yeah. summoning is its own thing. Um, and then they've added more and more spells over time since the game came out. They, the supplement Winds of Magic has new spells for all the different lores. They even expand. Oh, there's a, and then there's witchcraft and hedgecraft are their own lores as well, which is really cool. So there's like there's got to be over a hundred spells at this point. There's so much you can do with magic. Yeah, wow. And then there's also if you're a um something like a priest, there's there's prayers and blessings and stuff as well, which oh, not yeah. really maybe not as powerful as magic, but you can give people uh like blessings, like little bonuses and stuff like that. Some of the miracles are nuts. There's um uh, I think it was the Sea of Claws book that came out recently, at the PDF version at least, uh, where there's like an evil sea god called Stromfels, and one of their miracles is like you make a little um, like, uh, what's the word? Like a maelstrom around somebody's head and it can just drown them. And it's like, whoa, jeez. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> yeah. There's some, you know, there's some brutal stuff out there, especially for, I, I like how they're expanding on these, uh, more traditionally quote evil gods like Stromfels and whatnot. And they're bringing back some things from the lore. Um, like there's a God called Solcan. Is that right? Sol. Uh, I might be saying that wrong. Solcan? I think it's Solcan. Who is like a god of law, but to the point where like if you don't follow the law, you must be summarily punished, basically. So it's like sort of an evil god, even though it's all about following the law proper. It's like like almost the evil version of Verena. It's really interesting. I like it a lot. Yeah, awesome. That's so good. Well... I mean, that's pretty much the system, right? Like, that's, I don't think there's anything that I've really missed. We don't really need to get into to character progression or anything like that. But it is good the way it works. Like, you don't really level up, right? You just get better at certain skills. You get better spells. Like, it's not like D&D where it's when you get to fifth level, you have, you know, 60 hit points and, and all that sort of stuff. It's more like you just progress in, in different ways and cr- progress on your, your career path and that sort of stuff. Yeah, the nice incremental improvements where you get a little better at your things over time instead of like, oh, we got hit level 10, so now we're better at everything all of a sudden. Yeah. <laughs> no, I do like that. It's a slower progression. It means that um, even at high levels, like a couple of beastmen can still be deadly. Yep. They get that crit in and you lose a foot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, no. So let's talk about what you need uh, to actually play then. Like the book itself for fourth edition, 
Um, I'm in Australia, so it costs a- a- around like eighty or ninety dollars, which I think is around sixty bucks US. I'm guessing. I think I think yeah. it's sixty. It's a pretty hefty tome, uh, but it, it's a big old book that has everything you need. Um, I always suggest the starter set as well. Or start with that, and then you don't have to have the rule book for that, which is kind of nice. I'm pretty sure. You can play through the starter adventure without the rule book. It has enough in there to get you started. And then once you get through that adventure, get the core book, grab either something like The Enemy Within or Rough Nights, Hard Days is a, is a really classic one that can string together a few adventures. Um, but yeah, that starter set is so good. The production value on it is fantastic. There's a whole guide to the city that it takes place in. There's a, a good length adventure, not even like a... It's not really what most games come out with for a starter set that's like couple little interactions and then a boss fight and you're done it's like a substantial adventure that uh can really rolls into other things that cubicle seven has put out really well oh nice i'll have to check it out no yeah but the book itself is um is great like like you said it's very hefty it's got a really good layout i love the artwork i've got the book in front of me now and it's good because it's like yeah when compared to other some other systems it's it's like everything you need to play it's the player's guide it's the jam manual it's the the bestiary like all in one in one book and the chapters are good like i had to flick through the the chapter on game mastering it's all pretty straightforward and the 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 bestiary is quite dense as well yeah i the the bestiary in this is is great it's a, it's a great start um they've added little bits here and there on uh, throughout the other books uh, the other thing that's really good in the book is the, I forget what the chapter is called, like Welcome to the Reichland or something. The lore chapter mm. really sets the stage really well for the world. If you're, me, if you're new to the Warhammer world, it, 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 it's a great introduction and gets you started and really makes you want to know more about the world. Yes. And it's great. You don't need to, to, to know anything about the, the Warhammer universe to, to be able to jump right in, which is great. Yeah. And are there, is there a lot out there in terms of um, GM resources, not just adventures, but things that can can help a new GM jump into the system? Do you know? Unfortunately, there's not a lot of like digital things out there. There's no like SRD for it, like other games have. Um, there's the other products that Cubicle Seven has put out for the book. Um, there's a bunch of little expansions and whatnot, a bunch of little adventures um, and things. Uh, their presence on like Drive Through RPG is great. Um, they have a lot of different product there for helping out new GMs other than the starter set. Oh, their, their city guide books are fantastic. So like um, there's Altdorf Crown of the Empire and Mindenheim City of the White Wolf and uh, the newest one, um, Salzenmund, the city of salt and iron or something like that are fantastic setting books that really sets the, sets the stage for these cities with tons of adventure hooks like little one-shot ideas or you can easily take ideas from the book and make a whole campaign set in the city um, i'm writing one now uh, that we'll probably be doing a show of eventually where the whole party plays as wizards at the colleges of magic in altdorf and just like basically trying to survive in this world as this like kind of th- th- this weird high level class that's prosecuted in a way it's it's really interesting to me um so like those source books are so good for mining for ideas for your campaign and just again setting the stage for the world so i highly recommend their city books yeah nice and also if you if you go to the cubicle or, or drive through rpg or the cubicle 7 games website there's a couple of free adventures as well 
uh, which is great if you want to get started. I think there there's some older ones that were from from the original, maybe first edition, like If Looks Could Kill, and the other one uh, that's free is called Night of Blood, which is the adventure that I uh, have run for, oh, nice. our, for our actual play, which was a lot of fun. Yeah, everybody yeah. suggests that as your first, like if you're if you're really dipping your toe in, Night of Blood is the best place to start. It, it gives you that Warhammer feel right out the gate. Um, really well done. It's one I think it was around from first edition, and they just kind of updated it to so. fourth. Um, classic. Uh, one shot there the, yeah they got a ton of free ones and a, they have a lot of these really great like five buck adventures that five us dollars i should say <laughs> on like drive through <laughs> that um are pdf only and are just really high quality well written my favorite we did hell rides to halt um a year or two ago we ran which is it, it's not a one shot most groups could get through it in just a couple of sessions depending on how long your sessions are. We did it in just a straight shot of like seven hours, which was exhausting, but so much fun. Um, I love those adventures that they put out. Those are really, really cool that, you know, a great one that you can throw into in the middle of a campaign as like a little distraction. Mm-hmm. Um, there's all, there's the adventures in Uber's Reich books. I think there's two of them that have a, each have a collection of adventures you could run together as a campaign or other shorter adventures to, to, to fit in different places. There's, a lot of resources for this game already, and it's only like four years old. <laughs> All right. So I guess, you know, final thoughts. I, I, I really, really enjoyed playing this system. I think it's one that everyone owes it to themselves to have in their collection. And I would definitely love to, I could see myself when I have the time actually running a campaign with this. I think it's it's very unique in terms of the, the rules and the setting. Uh, it definitely stands out for me against other fantasy systems yeah there's so much you can do with this one where it's not just go into a dungeon and do combat after combat after combat you could do that you that that's when your characters are going to start dying for sure which makes sense but th- there's so much of the, the this game really kind of pushes that role play aspect and that adventure you know that exploring and finding things out um is just sky's the limit yeah and i do love that um even through a, a small adventure, your characters are, are going to come out probably completely different people at the end of an adventure. Right. They might even be mutated. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You might be mutated. You might lose a limb. You might have new limbs. Just wait and see. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Well, Dan, thank you so much for chatting with me, talking to, to me about your experiences with, uh, with, with Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay. Hopefully... For everyone that's listened, it's been enough to convince them to pick it up and try it out. Um, if you're not convinced, obviously, please listen to our actual play as we go through Night of Blood. A- anything else you want to plug before you go? Uh, yeah, play Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay. It's the best game. <laughs> <laughs> all right. And check out uh, a-, a grim podcast of Perilous Adventure and, and all the other fantastic podcasts on the uh, Professional Casual Network. Thanks. Yes. Definitely. Uh, or check out professionalcasual.com to see what else we have out there. There's, We've got a lot. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so they can find you guys on the website, Professional Casual Network, anywhere else? Yep. So uh, our socials, um, you can really just search for Professional Casual wherever. Uh, Facebook, we've got a bunch of stuff on YouTube. Regularly, we stream uh, Marvel Crisis Protocol on Twitch uh, every Monday. And then we have a couple other shows about that game throughout the week. Uh, we do some hobby streaming and things like that. Um, what's nice about being the network is that we've got a few people involved that 
uh, we can hit a couple nights of the week and it's not the same person every time. So you can, you know, pick your favorites. <laughs> nice. All right. Well, uh, Dan Cole, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. And we'll see the rest of you on the next episode of RPG Quest. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.